We're in part six of Swing Your Sword, okay? The highlight scripture for this, if you're taking notes, is Philippians chapter four, verses six through seven. So if you get anything, it's that verse today. We'll hit that later in the message, okay? And uh, we'll go from there, okay? Here reads the word of God. I, I don't know what version is typical here. I believe it's NLT, but I'll be reading from the New King James Version, so it might be different, okay? But uh, you can track with me. All right, uh, it reads from 1 Kings verse 1, chapter 19, verse 1. It says, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also, how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I don't make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, um, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Can you say wilderness? Awesome. And came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly and an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked and there um, by his head was a cake baked of coals, uh, baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days. That is a power bar if I've ever, 40 days on one, okay, sorry guys. 40 days and 40 nights as, uh, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into the cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel has forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by. Can you say he passed by? Awesome. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains. Just a few more verses. And broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 14, and he said, I have been very zealous. He repeats himself for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. Skipping to verse 18, it reads, and I conclude here, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, who all whose knees um, have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Would you pray just really quick? Heavenly Father, we thank you. You're already here. You won't lie to us. You have truth upon truth. 
hide, behind you, hide me behind your word that you and you alone will be seen today. We thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. If I were to title this part six, this sixth iteration of this message, I would title it what God said to Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? I have to be honest, I love studying the prophets. I love studying the prophets because they're peculiar, they're unique. They personify God extracting someone out of their lifestyle, okay, and placing them, and they're the epitome of obedience. Now, every prophet wasn't obedient. We uh, read that Jonah was a prophet, and he was not obedient, okay? He ran away, uh, went the opposite direction, ended up in some fish, and the fish, I mean, kind of... uh, out, you know, you know the picture, on land, and him and his jack self went and finally obeyed after living in throw up for three days. Don't want to go through that, okay? Um, uh, we, we see prophets in the Old Testament go through all kinds of stuff, and Elijah the prophet was no different. Now, we begin in this text in verse 1 and 2 with a lady by the name of Jezebel, and Ahab had told him or her all that Elijah did. To preface that, if you've ever read um, 17, 1 Kings 17 and 1 Kings 18, you'll see that we meet a man named Elijah. Elijah is a beast. I love Elijah because uh, he could fit in today's time. I, I love a, a good man's man. Any, any men's men in here? I mean, you just got that. Ooh, 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 ooh. I don't know why I barked, but you understand. <laughs> It's something about the grunt, right? But uh, th- this guy, he, he had a taunting spirit. He was bold as a lion. And he ran up on people and interacted with people and said, hey, if God shows up, perhaps he'll show up with fire. I love a guy like that, okay? Because either it's going to happen or it's not, okay? And 850 prophets ran into, it happened, dog. <laughs> it took place. It occurred. And the craziness is that they called upon their God. They called upon the one that they enacted with, okay, um, this God of Baal. They called upon him. They even cut themselves. They jumped and yelled and went crazy. And Elijah on this side, okay, this is the previous chapter. On this side, he begins to say, is your God asleep? He begins to say, hey, perhaps your God is busy. Did you set an appointment with him? I I love the boastfulness of this man. And not because I'm trying to be boastful. It's just the picturesque of what we we should look like when we're proud of the God we serve. That's a good place to say amen. Because sometimes in a dark generation, it takes boldness to speak up. And Elijah was bold. So you see what happened. He called down fire. They noticed that their God didn't show up. Fire lipped up the sacrifice. And all of a sudden, the Lord instructed him, take out all these false prophets that are leading my people away. And when they saw the fire, they begin to say, the Lord, he is God. It was awesome. Elijah bounced. Ahab went mad back to his wife. Honey. We ran into a a prophet today. This prophet called down fire and killed everybody. 
Could you imagine? You have to observe the humanity within this text. You have to see, like, uh, I mean, was he mad? Was he on a horse? Where was she at? Was she in the throne? Was she cooking? Was she in a room chilling? Babe, hold on one second, honey. Hold, hold on, right? You have to imagine how he and her interacted, and she got mad, and there was something on this woman that she said, wait, wait, hold up, hold up. Elijah, okay, she wrote a letter, sent it to him, and said, bro, you're dying about this time tomorrow. I mean, you got to see this. And the scripture says, Elijah fled. He ran away. Now, let's just stop for, for a second. Bro, you just encountered 850 prophets on Mount Carmel. Bold is a lion. If you're God and my God, let's see. And you get a letter? I mean, it's like you uh, defeating somebody and it's on worldwide news and everybody sees and someone sends you a text and you're like, hold up. Beep, beep. Right? And he runs. If you can put up that verse three with me for just a second. That verse three, it says, and when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself, verse 4, went a day's journey into the wilderness and sat down under a broom tree. And then he prayed and said that he might die and said, it is enough now. Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. This has always been a peculiar text for me because when I gave my life back to the Lord and, and was pursuing him, this is something that I ran into. I love this text because for whatever reason, I never could focus on chapter 19. I always talked about 18 and 17 and the boldness of Elijah and man, I love Elijah. I love Elijah. I love Elijah. I could have wrote a song and started rapping. I love Elijah. Right. Sorry, y'all. I'm a youth pastor, and I'm hype all the time. So uh, that's just how we get down, right? Okay, but I was hype all the time, but I skipped over this chapter, and now being a father with a, a daughter and a son and a wife and responsibility and, and a business and things to do and stress and being a pastor, which is pray for your pastors. It is not easy. I started to see this chapter. And I started to realize how in the world did this man go from the height, the boldness to, Lord, I pray that I may die. I pray that my life be over. I'm no better than my father's. Just crazy concept. God never asked anyone to be better than your father. Why do we put pressure on ourselves? Why do we put weight that's not necessarily ours? I'll continue. In verses 5 through 8, we see Elijah encounter, okay, um, he encounters an angel. 
Now, he had ran, okay, scholars believe as it's measured through typography, okay, it was either 90 to 100 miles. So within the course of this encounter with the fire, reading this letter, okay, he ran to Beersheba. Beersheba from where they were was roughly between 90 and 100 miles on foot. We struggle to walk a mile. They walked, ran. He left his servant in Beersheba. Then he went to the Mount of God to sit underneath the broom tree. This is a blossoming tree that's known for people as a shade tree that people in the wilderness, in a dry place, can actually sit down and obtain some shade. Crazy thing, friends, crazy thing. Why after an encounter with God, an encounter with people, a great victory, does this great man run to a dry place, to a solitary place? The angel showed up. The man was drowsy. And this is comical for me, okay, because okay, uh, we pray for God to, re- anybody ever prayed the prayer, God, show yourself, reveal yourself. I need a sign. Elijah had an angel run up on him and, hey, bruh, wake up. <laughs> and Elijah's like, <clears throat> out. He, he was so drowsy, he missed the miracle. I don't know how long he slept. It could have been a day. It could have been an hour. It could have been six hours. It could have been three days. But the angel came back. (laughs) Bruh, wake up, arise, eat. The journey is too great. And the scripture says he still didn't really even acknowledge that the angel was there. We can conclude by this interaction that there was something going on in his mind. There was something going on in his heart. Because, friend, if you have an encounter with God, God has a way of revealing himself. And you know, Jacob knew so much that a dream had hit where a ladder introduced itself, where ground touched to heaven and heaven touched the ground. And he woke up surprised saying, "Uh, God was in this place and I did not even know it. But Elijah had an angel. And he's like, just five more minutes, mom. For you parents out there, okay? We'll continue, we'll continue, okay? I'm going somewhere with this, I'm going somewhere. Verse nine and 10, if you can put that up on the screen, friends, okay? Verse nine and 10 reads, um, it says, and there he went into a cave and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here Elijah. I don't know about you. Oftentimes, there are seasons in our life. We want God to meet us, to answer us, to comfort us, and he does. For for some that are trained, that know him, that uh, talk with him, that communicate to him on a a regular basis, sometimes the Lord, because it's, it's a relationship. We relate to the Lord. That's what relationship is. It's relatability, okay? He has proximity to Elijah to be like, in my language, what you doing here, man? Why are you in a cave? I just showed up on behalf of your faith. 
Why are you running? What are you doing here? And perhaps I would submit to you that Elijah was wrestling with something. He was wrestling with with something that had his attention. The scripture says that the Lord passed by. He showed up in a fire. That was last. He showed up in an earthquake. That was second. And then the first thing he showed up was in a great wind that even caused the rocks to break. And Elijah didn't even respond to that. Again, he had to be in a slumber. Are you serious? Lord, if you pass by me and I know it, okay, perhaps I can detect it and I see you pass by and rocks fall, I'm going bananas. I saw the Lord. I sensed the Lord. He is the Lord. And Elijah stayed in the cave. The Lord shows up in an earthquake. I don't know about you. Have you ever, anyone ever been in a real earthquake before? Okay. I got a friend. His name is, is Marcus. If he's watching, okay, he's in California. This is the only brother that I knew that slept. He had an Elijah spirit. He slept in the worst San Francisco earthquake in recent history. This bro was out. I mean, imagine just moving and shaking, and he woke up, and his mom's is screaming, and he is, Mark is like, what happened? Why is everything on the floor? That's crazy. But Elijah didn't move with that either. Then a fire shows up out of nowhere. Moses was spooked by a fire because he looked at a bush, but Elijah saw a fire and was kind of like, meh. Uh, but the Bible says that then a still small voice revealed to Elijah and he reacted. He reacted. Could it be that Elijah simply needed to get renewed for service by seeing a fresh vision of God? Today, friends, I want to just underscore mental health, anxiety. It's running rampant in our world. Stats say that over uh, 40, let me get my exact numbers, over 40 million Americans have entangled themselves with anxiety in recent days, becoming the number one mental health challenge. It got my attention why Elijah would wrestle with such great lengths with this type of thing. Now, I want to just challenge those that when you heard the word anxiety, if you don't struggle with this or if you never encountered it, please don't tune me out. Okay, there's something for you on this regard because this man of God, this, this man of God who had great insight, okay, explored and expand and considered great faith. But here we meet him in a cave and his one statement says, Lord, I alone am left. And the Lord responds to him and says, what are you doing here, bro? What are you doing in our midst? What are you doing in this moment? 
God showed his power. He showed his strength. He showed up, but this man didn't react, okay? How did Elijah get here? Perhaps his statement, he says, they. Can you say they? He said, they seek to take my life. Maybe he had a little bit of pride thinking that he was the only one. And this is no different than us. When you go through stuff, have you ever thought that you're the only one that is struggling with something? Thank you for the few that raise your hand because don't leave me up here by myself. Okay. Sometimes we go through something and the enemy has a way of depicting the scenario in a way that underscores the concept that we're the only one. I'm the only one in my family that struggles with fill in the blank. I'm the only one in my family that's going through this. And anxiety is no different. I love what James 5.17 declares. It says that Elijah was a man just as we are with nature like ours. And I appreciate that because I have issues. Hey, don't look at me crazy. Y'all got issues too. <laughs> Seriously, though. I, I mean, in, 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 in the emotional switches, in working with students, I love it because uh, with working with students, you'll see they will be hype.com. They will be ecstatic about a moment, going, exhilarating, jumping, and in two seconds, leave me alone. I mean, it's crazy. Like, well, what did I say? How did, where did that take place? But anxiety, friends, is showing up in the earth. So let's try to understand anxiety today, understanding it. And, and I wrote something down to just educate us for a moment, okay? Understanding anxiety and fear and worry for a moment is this. Fear and anxiety aren't interchangeable. Let me read this to you, okay? I wrote a... Uh, Fear is an emotional response to a real or perceived immediate threat. Anxiety is emotional response to a real or perceived future threat. Fear is a warning system that alerts us to danger right now, while anxiety is a warning system of impending danger. Related, but anxiety is attached to the worry. Now, let me just ask an honest question. Who in here has ever encountered the spirit of anxiety? If you could hold your hands up and just look around for a moment. This is crazy. How in the world does this show up in just about everyone? See, we need anxiety and fear because it's also an alert system. Fear helps us respond, that fight or flight syndrome. We, we can react, we can respond. Anxiety helps us sometimes to get stuff and to go in or to prepare for it or to rightly divide it. But if it is overdone or overwhelming or if it takes control, okay, um, it, and it loses the warning of impending danger and it becomes the status, the regularity by which we see life through, it is a problem. The problem comes when fear and anxiety cease to be warning signs because sources of continuous distress or when we are fearful and anxious over the wrong things in the wrong way or to the wrong degree. Now, I'm not telling you something you don't know. So you're like, hey, bald-headed man, get to the point. 
I got you. I got you. What, what I'm trying to say to us today is this is a real variable in our life today. And friends, we don't often talk about it. Okay, we, we, we don't talk about it. Okay, we don't talk about anxiety as mental as a mental health issue. We don't we talk about it as as um, it affects our bodies, but we don't talk about it from a biblical perspective. Pastor Ricky blessed me. He doesn't know he blessed me on this because he challenged me with asking to minister here. Okay, I was talking with him and we were prayerfully praying about this series and we were talking back and forth through texts and through conversations. And he said, Pastor Micah, I think you should speak on anxiety. And I thought to myself, bro, no, I'm not speaking on anxiety. Everybody talks about anxiety. It's mental health month and it's this, that, this. And I don't, but the more and more I pondered and I boiled on it and I seethed on it like some tea, I had to realize that. Uh, this was the prompting of the Lord. And this was something I encountered. And if, if, if I could say something in here um, for men, it's something that men don't talk about. It's something that men don't really underscore. We, we, we assume stuff but we don't talk about our assumptions. We, we, we struggle and wrestle within, but who do we talk to? Because it's made to look incorrect. It's made to look weak. It's made to look, it's personified as something that's minimal. And I appreciate the quarantine time in 2020 because it underscored an opportunity for us to get things out. Friends, we have to speak up. And like Elijah, he ran. We can see what anxiety does. It has a choking factor that it causes us to retreat and run to a space and a place that we know not. Okay? I used to think in my heart of hearts that as a believer, as a Christ follower, as a Christian that professed that we aren't supposed to struggle with an anxiety and add that to being a man, that was something you don't reference. Okay, because in my heart, what was modeled to me, I love my biological dad. I love my stepdad, but neither of them taught me about anxiety. And I won't do that with my son. Friends, the concept of angst is available to us. See, the Gospel of John says, I have told you, this is Jesus talking, you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is John 16, 33. Right out the gate, Jesus tells us something. He tells us something very clear. He says that we will have troubles, okay? If you ever uh, come into the Christianum, if you're a new believer and someone says that it's going to be all Reese's Pieces and Skittles, you would say to them, you don't know your Bible. Because life is full of punches, right? If you're not coming out of a struggle, if you're not getting over a struggle, you're about to go into a struggle. Can I get an amen there? Jesus also says he will be with us through it, okay? But there's an adversary 
The adversary, the devil, okay, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, 1 Peter 5, 8. Okay? He is ever-present. He's showing up. He is processing. He is in the moment. Okay? But scriptures are full of examples of people that struggle with anxiety, people that encountered it. Okay? And, and I'm not here to underscore the multiple people. I just want to give you some pointers of how to overcome it. Can we do that? If you're taking notes, how do I stand against and overcome fear and anxiety? Here's a few action steps, and these are powerful for me. These are very powerful for me, okay? A um, few action steps for you to take. Number one, if you're taking notes, this is super powerful. Stop claiming ownership of anxiety. Stop claiming ownership of anxiety. You might ask the question, I've asked it as well, how do I give my anxiety to God? How do I give what I feel to God? How do I give what I'm processing and wrestling with in the private spaces to a God that I cannot see? Well, first step is to stop taking ownership. Stop claiming it to yourself. Stop walking around. Stop in interacting and something happens and someone asks you what's wrong and you're like, it's, it's my anxiety. You're owning it. You're giving it credence. You're pouring into it. Well, it's the thing that I deal with, and it's just what I deal with. It's, it's just normal. It's, it's just what I have. You, you've allowed it to take up residence and own what you own. That's a good place to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am who God says I am. Anxiety is not my name. My name is Micah. Can you all say your name on three? One, two, three. That's the name your mama and your daddy gave you. Your name is not anxiousness. It's not angst. So why would we embrace something that's not us and let it define us? We cannot claim ownership of this. Instead of claiming ownership over something Jesus set us free from, let us take a defensive stance and swing our sword. Amen. I love this because back in the day, I grew up in some neighborhoods. Some were hood. Okay, some were ghetto and some people in some neighborhoods carried guns. Now, in Florida, that's not unique because everybody okay, has a license okay, to carry and that's good. Praise the Lord. But back then it wasn't like that. I'm I'm from Colorado, lived some in Texas, Dallas. Okay. And and, uh, you know, California, I frequented and there was a lot of my friends okay, that were strapped. And so when I gave my life back to the Lord and I was very intentional about it, I used to say that I carry my heat. And they, they're like, man, Micah carrying a gun now? And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, I, because I didn't want to say sore. We weren't fencing. We weren't, you know, but I, I would say I carry my heat. It's in the car. They're like, yo. Until I had one of the big homies, okay, I won't say his name. He might get in trouble, okay? But the big homies ride with me, and he's like, hey, let me see your heat. And I use it as an opportunity to share the gospel. He opened up my glove compartment and pulled out. He says, I don't see a gun in here. I said, bro, what do you see? He said, what is this book? Oh, Holy Bible. I said, that's my heat, bro. That's my sword. You have to understand, when I, I, I encountered some of these things, I had to start applying 
memorizing, forcing myself to consider. If someone created me that knows me better than I know myself, why wouldn't I console the person that made me? Have you ever asked the question, why am I so unique? Why do I laugh at stuff that nobody does? Why do I joke this way? Why do I dance this way? Why do I have that little nuance about myself? Well, there was a creator that hooked you up uniquely that way, and he, the only he, the only wise God, has an answer for you, but we have to talk to him and learn how to say it on three, one, two, three, swing. If you know how to use swords, Please don't judge my swing. Okay. First John four eighteen says the uh, it says fear has torment. Okay. It also says in Second Timothy one seven it says for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We cannot claim ownership. Number two. Number two. Overcome by meditating on what is good. Overcome anxiety by meditating on what is good. Okay, we have to adopt the biblical practice, not the Eastern practice of meditation, but the biblical practice of choosing to focus our thoughts on things, okay, that the Bible shares, the truths that he gives us to lead us through. This is intentionality or intentionally recalling the things that we pick up and recalling the things that we underscore, recalling scriptures like Philippians chapter four, verses six through seven, that says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace. Somebody say the peace. Peace. Say it louder. The peace. Of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Crazy thing about that verse is Paul writes something. He says, do not be anxious. Are you kidding me? How do I do not be anxious? How do I stop anxiety from jumping up? Paul, you're right. You're crazy, bro. You're pray. You're crazy. But he says, but in every situation. So he's saying you're okay to be anxious, but in every situation by prayer. Can you say prayer? Prayer. Say petition. Petition. You have to. That petitioning is a humble posture before a God with the big ears that hears what you're saying. And with prayer and petition, with supplication, make your request known to God. He's saying, converse with me, friend. Converse with me, daughter. Converse with me, man. I know your dad never taught you how to deal with this. But if you converse with me, I'm the father of all fathers. I got your back. I will help you through this scenario. He continues to write, okay, in verses 8 through 9, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, okay, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Here's a statement that'll catch you off guard. It caught me off guard, okay? But um, I was reading this article on anxiety, and this statement jumped out, okay? It says, our thoughts are our responsibility. Number one, are we policing our thoughts? Are we surveying 
They don't use these today, but I, I grew up in a day when my mom had a Rolodex, and it was a bunch of papers that you just, da, 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 da. ah, this, is this the person? No, that's not the person. Okay, one second. Da, 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 da. Oh, here you go, right? We have to survey through our thoughts and consider, okay, um, um, our thoughts are our responsibility. So if that thought comes out, we have to do something with it. If the crazy thought shows up, we have a responsibility to take that thought and take it to the Lord. When's the last time you took that thought that is aggravating you to the Lord? When's the last time you took that thought that's busting you up to the master? Number three, can you say three? Okay, include spiritual weapons in your plan. This is powerful. Okay, in Spanish, poderoso. It's super powerful. Because we have to plan a simple spiritual fight with spiritual weapons. We can't fight what's spiritual with earthly tools. Some people think prayer doesn't mean much, but friends, I want to tell you something. Okay, it's not about praying. It's about what prayer is doing to you. Prayer is changing you. Some people think it doesn't take all that worship, but it does take all that, okay? Man, if you want to come up and get into place, all right? This is a big deal. I honestly, and at some point, we have to stop relying solely on, okay, uh, the physical remedies to anxiety. No shade to doctors, no shade to medication, but it's a spiritual thing. Friends, I truly believe in my whole heart, this is the tactic of the enemy, and it's coming to destroy us. Anxiety, fear. If you think through a political time, fear marketing dominates. Anxiety takes over. How does the greatest man that was with Jesus on the mountain at the Mount of Transfiguration Struggle after he's seen such a miracle. Number four, super simple, and this is, this is where I'm going to wrap it up, okay? Friends, we, we have to be intentional about this. We have to see victory as a lifestyle and not an event. We just want to win the moment, and we should win the moment. But when you see it as a lifestyle, you regurgitate what you read. You remind yourself what you read. I didn't know what to do, but I would remind myself over and over and over and over and over again. I want to just just tell you a simple story, okay? And we'll conclude. We're going to worship a little bit. And if you feel anything in this message touched on you and you feel like you, you need prayer, our prayer teams will be down in the front, okay? And we're going to pray together, all right? I mentioned anxiety in men. To be honest with you, I was an a all-state athlete in Colorado, okay? Um, I played uh, Division II football. You know, I was a big boy. I, I had a lot of hair that doesn't reflect today. Um, but I honestly didn't believe anxiety was real. I didn't believe it was something that really existed. I would hear people say, I'm having an anxiety attack. And in my heart, I didn't say it out loud, but in my heart, I would be like, that's fake. 
But until I, I jumped into ministry and we moved from Colorado to Illinois, and this is when I first it was jumping into student ministry, I remember it like yesterday. We were at a youth function where a bunch of youth pastors were coming together, and I wasn't an official youth pastor. I was just a, a worker. I was serving, okay, but I could see the trajectory, and, and I was invited there, and, and it was stressful. It was stressful. It was stressful. Okay, I served with one of my best friends that I grew up since second grade, and we went from fun times, amazing moments, spending time after time together, watching the games, to all of a sudden an endless task list. Me and my friend were not seeing eye to eye. There was some betrayal that took place. There was unique facets that took care. And, and a friend who was a friend for 25 years okay, became my boss for 25 months. And needless to say, that dynamic was awkward. And it created this thing called anxiety. And I remember um, at this event, I was there. All of a sudden, this compression came upon my chest. And I could not expand, and I could not breathe fully, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't comprehend it, and I was struggling, and they were calling you, hey, you, you with the glasses, we need you to speak. And I'm over there in the back feeling like I can't expand, and it was overwhelming to me. I went home after that, and my wife looked at me because we're mirrors. Okay, when you're married, you, your wife or your husband are mirrors to you. They reflect who you really are. Praise God. You want to know someone? Look at their wife or husband. My wife looked at me. She said, if this is ministry, I want no part of it. And I remember I saw myself through her eyes for the very first time. And I, like Elijah, literally ran out the door. I'm running like crazy. And I ended up running three miles because I was so, or six miles rather, because I was so tied up in my mind. I just kept running because I felt so much pressure to loose, to being loose came upon me. And I started to acknowledge that anxiety was real. I discovered that Philippian scripture Okay, I discovered two more scriptures to 1 Peter 5, 7, to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I also discovered Psalm 55, 22, it says, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. You can stand up on your feet just for a moment. And if you can bow your heads, prayer team, you can come forth and get in position. I believe that the Lord wants to touch some of us today. He wants to minister to us today. No situation is, is unique. It's common, but he gives us a way out of it. And perhaps today, the simple word of something that's so prevalent, God wants to reveal himself to us. Would you bow your heads? Lord Jesus, we thank you today for who you are in our midst. Would you touch my brothers? Would you touch my sisters? Would you clothe their mind in peace? 
Would you reveal your love and your purpose in this season? Like Elijah, would you enter that cave and ask them the question, what are you doing here? You're called to be where you're supposed to be. Don't run. God wants to touch you today. So Father, we pray that you would be the healer in this moment. Would you reveal yourself so the enemy can't steal? Would you seal your promise in their heart so the lie can't dominate? Anxiety will come down in the name of Jesus. And we simply decree and declare that by your stripes and by your power and by Espiritu Santo, you will touch them today. We thank you for that now. In Jesus' name, amen.